0: And welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumour Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. And thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director, Richard Jones now with more to come. Also, if you feel like getting involved further, the Brain Tumor Charity is running the Conquer the Challenge through till May, a virtual fundraiser for those fitness inclined, and there's a leaderboard, so if you're competitive, this is for you. All the details are at braintumorcharity.org. Together, we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. Now, as you know, without you and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do, which is bringing you the biggest names in In motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions, this season we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula 1. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula 1 this year, we're all over it. With F1 Experiences' official ticket packages coming direct from Formula 1, you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit F1Experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well. So what are you waiting for? The 2021 F1 season is set to be one of the closest in years, so get booking your F1 experience today with F1. F1Experiences.com.
1: Welcome to the Motormouth podcast, and today's guest was born in Lindenfels in southwest of Germany. It's a lovely, climatic spa town in the Oden world and Weichnitz Valley. Apologies for my awful pronunciation. Its famous quirk is that it's home to a number of dragons. Yes, there's Lindenfels Dragon Museum, with several garden-dwelling dragons, and in fact dragons are visible throughout the town itself in the form of 1.5 four meter high statues I bet you didn't know that Harry Benjamin uh, no that
0: is news to me well I m- must make it a point of uh, destination uh, I think it's my, actually, my sister-in-law attraction. my sister-in-law is German and uh, I only know one German phrase which forgive me again I, th- I think it's can ich de Gulteller which I think is can I have the mixed grill please well, well um, done, or dude. something something along those lines I'm sure when we bring <laughs> in our guest he'll, he'll correct me but <laughs> that's, that's the extent of my German
1: oh well talking of today's guest shall I introduce him yeah let's do it so today's guest is a name known to pretty much all motorsport fans he like many before him worked his way up through the karting ladder later shining in German F3 before a short stint with Jordan in Formula 1 before a slight gap and then back to Formula 1 with Toyota Motor, Virgin, and then Marusha before eventually making the switch to DTM, where he's remained loyal ever since. It's a pleasure to have him here. Timo Glock, welcome to the Motormouth. Mouth. Hey guys, really impressed, really impressed. It, was
2: it all right? <laughs> it was not bad. I mean, there is room to improve, but it was, uh, it was quite
0: good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the Duolingo out and, uh, and carry on. Um, but Timo, look, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, the wonders of Zoom mean we can literally chat to anybody from anywhere in the world. So whereabouts are you coming from at the moment? Uh, I'm at home in Switzerland at the moment.
1: Very nice. nice. Very nice. Have you got some good uh, weather? We've got glorious beautiful, balmy beautiful, sunshine uh, over here. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Same here. I mean, a bit cloudy, but it's, uh, it's still enjoyable.
1: Good. Now, listen, we don't have long with you today, so forgive us for brushing over some parts of your career, but let's pick it up just after your Formula 3 exploits around 2004 and you landed yourself an F1 reserve seat with Jordan and when Giorgio Pantano, a name that is so synonymous with my uh, my early years of getting into Formula One, landed himself in some bother, you took a full seat in Montreal where you beat Nick Heidfeld to finish P11, which later became P7 after some dis- disqualifications. Not a bad start by any means. Take us back to that first race and some of the emotions you were going through in these early stages of your F1 career. How did it feel to finally be an F1 driver? I mean,
2: that, that was for sure... <laughs> a pretty intense weekend and um, to be honest I, I cannot really remember everything in the race what I really can remember is when Eddie called me up in the morning uh, and told me listen I mean I, I, it was already a bit of a sort of of you could hear already on Friday that there could be some problems um, but then you know uh, so Saturday morning when Eddie called me up he said hey man you need to come a bit early to the track uh, you need to be ready for qualifying Um, that I remember pretty well Uh, and that sort of drive from the hotel to the to the track jumping in the first time reminded me a bit to my ever first go-kart race where I throw up right before the start like behind the tent (laughs) because I was so nervous and that was close to it I mean I was super nervous on that Saturday even so I had nothing to lose because you know at the end, uh, it was clear that I, I'm not going to win the race with that car. I'm not going to be in a position, uh, actually, if everything goes normal, to to fight for the points or even beat Nick uh, in that race. But things came together, uh, and at the end, Eddie invited me for dinner because he was a very happy man <laughs> after we scored some points and uh, got some money into into his, let's say, pocket. Not not his pocket, but in the team. Um, because on that stage, you know, the team was not in a, in, in a really good shape financially,
1: but that helped yeah. him out a lot. And he invited me for
2: dinner and we had a good
1: night. We're talking That's of Eddie Jordan, thing. he's we had him on the show uh, maybe last season. And uh, his first words to me, having never spoken to him before, was uh, there's about three or four swear words and then, I used to work with his daughter, and he, he he called me something like a a pilfering perv or something along those lines, wasn't it, Harry? So he's 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 an interesting character. How did you find working with Eddie, and, and what was your relationship like with him?
2: Oh, it was good. I mean, I, it was good fun. Really enjoyed it. Uh, a real character, as you said, and yeah, I mean, he he, he was straightforward. You know, he, he told you what he thinks. He told you what he needs, uh, and. Um, and it's still the same. I mean, when I met him when I was working for RTL in the past years and I was working, uh, I was, I was I saw him on the on the race weekend. He every time came by, we had a little chat and uh, had some swear words uh, as well. Random, every time different for some reason. And I don't know why he was so angry sometimes against <laughs> me, but I think it was just more a joke.
0: Sadly, though, for the following year, you, there wasn't a seat for you at Jordan. Yes. So you actually did a switch to, to Champ Cars. And then went back to GP two. So which is actually a bit of a I suppose it's a quite an unconventional route because you have that F one taste and then it's almost a bit of a, a, a step back. How how did you sort of negotiate those years and, and what was the thought process behind champ cars and then GP two and, and then luckily making it back to F one?
2: Yeah, I mean actually the the main reason was as it is most of the time is the money. Uh, you know, in in these days and in, in, in at Jordan, it was all about Whereas the biggest sponsorship behind it was not literally, or literally about the talent you have, how quick you are. It was more or mainly how the team can survive. And that was at, at the end, paid driver. Uh, and I, we, we just didn't have the, the financial uh, possibility to do it. And at the end, um, there was that possibility to go uh, to, to America, to car which was a, you know, in one way, a step back but in terms of learning process for myself being in America for a year um, it was very positive and I, I would have stayed there maybe longer but as well in car there was the at that stage the the problem that the, the championship itself was in a difficult situation the teams were in a difficult situation and at the end I was very close to, uh, to sign up a deal uh, with the team there but at the end again the financial situation decided that I can't do it and then uh, GP2 came uh, in 2005, was the first year, 2006 was the second year. And then we made the move back uh, to
0: GP2. Um, and yeah. And you were among some pretty. Decent names during your time in GP2. Nelson Piquet Jr., uh, Georgia Giorgio Pantano, José Maria Lopez, Adam Carroll, Olivia Pla, Lucas Degrassi, Mike Conway, and more. Of course, Lewis Hamilton won the, the, the championship, but you you had a pretty strong showing as well because you switched teams, didn't you, mid-season? And that wound up being a great move from you because you got most the award for most improved driver. That must be that must be a pretty good feeling and obviously the right move for you to do at the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a a critical year again uh, in my career where we actually wanted to sign up with iSport already um, before, but um, we were like one and a half, two weeks too late. uh, And they they signed up. I think it was Olivier Pla. No, no, uh, wrong. It was Ernesto Vizzo and who was the other guy? I can't remember the name. On the other side, we were two weeks too late and I drove for a, a Spanish team, BCN Competition, and it was a disaster. I mean, the car never was uh, in, in conditions to fight for a top three or even a top five result. And I can remember, I still remember really well uh, the, the weekend in Imola where they didn't manage to get the steering wheel straight all weekend long. I was every time driving out of the box with the steering wheel pointing to the right. And the thing was just undrivable and, and due to the reverse grid, on Sunday, I was like starting. I think in the first or in the second row, I can't remember. And uh, the first three or four guys pulled off, and I had this train of fifteen cars behind me, and my car was just on drive. And I just managed to stay in front of them, and I think I finished P five, but I was one and a half seconds off the pace because the thing was literally I was driving like this all the time. And Imola has a lot of left-hand corners, and all the left-hand corners, the thing was just on the nose massively. And on the right-hand corner, it was understeer, like hell. So it was a mess. And, um, and then I, we came to Monaco, and I was starting P18 on Sunday, and I no, on Saturday and I managed to come to P4 due to safety car and different strategy and stuff like this. And like three laps to the end, my gearbox broke, and I stopped before the tunnel, um, walked out, walked back, and I, thought, and I called my dad, and I said, mate, I come back. I work as because my dad has a scaffolding company at home. And I said, I come back on Monday. I' gonna be a scaffolder again. I'm not gonna deal with this shit anymore. Lose. It's, it's game over. But in that race, both of the ice podcasts crashed in the in 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 the first lap, and Paul Jackson was like standing there, nothing to do. So he was taking times, split times, swimming pool area until cast. And I was the only guy who managed to, uh, to match Lewis in that section. And then they called me up because one of the drivers had financial problems. It was not ns Visa it was the other guy. I can't remember the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they called me up on Monday, said, listen, we have a problem. We can swap uh, or we need a different driver. We would like to have you on board again. I came to Silverstone, drove out of the box in the outlet. I knew this is the car I need. To fight for uh, for the podium, and straight away I was on the podium in the first race. Just nice and, to have a straight steering wheel, I suppose. <laughs> and a straight steering wheel, and at the end I, I scored more points in the second half of the season than Lewis.
1: Wow, God, that's wow. amazing. And and obviously the, the following year, you go even better. And again, in a, a competitive field, you go and win the GP2 championship. Well, no, what was GP2 is now, I guess, F2 has replaced it. But that must have been an incredible feeling. And that really put you on the radar of Formula One. Would you put that down as one of the highlights of your early career, getting that GT, GP2 championship and then leading into that contract with Toyota?
2: Yeah absolutely but that was another another eventful year uh, because i was leading by 35 points i think the cha- uh, the championship mid season and people were already coming to me and telling me uh ah, well done you're already you know there's no way around it you're going to be- win this championship and then from that moment on um, things turned around was unlucky uh, uh, technical wise i think we were leading the race in in Budapest alternator broke uh, had to stop uh, had like th- three or four races where I couldn't score points, but we were unlucky. And I remember still that race in, in Spa when we drove to the grid on the Sunday morning. was super cold. No tire blankets, so cold tires out of the box. I drive up the camel straight and then suddenly I see this car coming, pointing 90 degrees towards me and runs into my car, takes me out of the race even before the race has started. Lucas Di Grassi, I think even wins it or is on the podium, and we come to Valencia with a two-point lead instead of 35. <laughs> and I had to fight for the championship. And Toyota told me, "I' gonna, you know, it's gonna be only a possibility if I win this championship." Ugh,
1: pressure.
2: So the pressure was pretty intense, and uh, at the end, a good feeling to win it. And then, yeah, do the move to F1. Yeah.
0: And that was, I mean, crucial. Talk about pressure. Were you sick before that one as well? Or were you managing the pressure then? No,
2: I I was managing the pressure better. (laughs) With some
0: experience, you'd do better with it. Yeah. Well, well, you got it. And then, luckily, you secured your return to Formula One with Toyota, given a nice three-year contract. That must have been, I suppose... A bit of a relief at the same time to make to make it back there, not just make it back to Formula One, but with a huge manufacturer behind you. Um, and it wasn't a bad machine either to drive, I suppose. How do you look back at that time? And, and uh, sort of, was the seat guaranteed after you'd won the GPT Championship, or was there still a bit more work to do after that?
2: No, it, it was. I mean, well, okay, the, the, the second stage is to get the contract finalised yeah. and, and you know get the, the deal done, but. Uh, when we signed it, it was uh, uh, in 2007, end of the uh, end of the year. Um, I drove up to Cologne and I had like a tour through the company, um, through the buildings at 11 o'clock in the night that there are not too many sort of uh, people working that they don't see me because it was like planned to unveil it a week later or st- stuff like this. So, and I still remember when we walked through that Building which is massive, uh, and I realized you know, in, in what kind of team I am in because there was everything possible you can imagine of everything was there, everything was possible. Two wind tunnels, uh, so it was huge. And you know, coming from GP2 uh, into Formula One into such a big team, there was some as well, some big pressure, but as well, like you know, a real good feeling. Uh, and, and I enjoyed that I mean I spent a lot of time up in Cologne working in the simulator you know there was a time when the simulator got in, introduced as well did a lot of development work in the simulator and um, yeah I mean it was very interesting very intense as well uh, and a very good experience, yeah.
1: it was. It's a good setup there. I, I used to actually, when I first started work, working in Formula One in 2005, I think the Toyota F1 team was the first team I ever worked with. And I ended up working with Richard Cregan, who I think left. Yeah. I don't know if he left just before you joined. He was the team manager. And I yeah. ended up working with him um, with Toyota and Panasonic, who were the title sponsor. And then I followed him across to Abu Dhabi when he became CEO of Yas Marina Circuit. So I've got a long history yeah. with with Toyota. and It's a great team. And that facility you mentioned in Cologne is incredible. I spent a lot of time there. So it would be great. Harry and I were talking off air before we started about... Big manufacturers in Formula One and how, you know, we've got the likes of Aston coming in. How cool would it be to see Toyota come back into Formula One? A huge manufacturer like that could really make a big impact. So perhaps one day we'll see them rejoin. Um, but now hopefully hopefully but now talking of your f1 exploits it would be terrible of us not to mention interlagos and i'm sure you're (laughs) you're sick to the back teeth i don't think it would be terrible (laughs) but we've got to talk about it there you were flying high sliding all over the place in your toyota we've now You can now see the onboard footage. So caveat, you are completely innocent because you can see the footage for yourself. And I watched it last night and you are sliding all over the place. Lewis Hamilton, Felipe Massa fighting for the title. The former McLaren man needing fifth or better to win the title. The rain got heavy. Over to you, Timo. Tell us what happened (laughs) from the cockpit perspective.
0: Sorry to make you relive Um, it for the millionth time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's every year. It's the same story. I mean, right, like one one and a half, two weeks before the Brazilian Grand Prix, my telephone is ringing, and I like I don't know how many, how many interviews about it. But at the end, you know, it's part of Formula One history. And, and uh, sometimes I think uh, I would have loved to be in a different position at that time. But on the other side, if you think back, it, it yeah, it was one of you know, it, it. On the other side, it's cool to be in one of the most dramatic. <laughs> Have one history championship designer moments, but to me, sometimes I don't understand some people who are still, I mean, there are still people out there who think I would have helped Lewis. This was all planned before the weekend, blah, blah, blah. Uh, especially now, I mean, it, it took, I think, it took it three or four years until Formula One released yeah. the bloody onboard camera, and I would have loved to have that a bit earlier that people yeah, can that, see yeah. <laughs> what, what really happened. I mean, and I can re- still remember it really well. Um, you know, we were driving, everything was clear, uh, clear clear. strategy. Um, I struggled a bit in general in, on that weekend with with the pace. And that la- sort of 10 laps towards the end, I see this massive rain cloud coming from that one side to the track. And to me, it was clear that it's, it's going to hit us at some point. Um, and we're driving and, and other guys started to, to yeah, change tires already, and, and we, we made the decision to stay out. You know, We gambled, we had nothing to lose. So we decided to stay on, on dry tires, um, try to make it to the end. We gained four or five positions, I think. Um, and like th- three laps to the end, I said, guys, this is not going to work out. For sure, in the last lap, it's going to hit us massively. Um, and they said, Are you leading that much? We uh, stay out. Uh, it paid off. We are in the top five. We stay out. We stay out. Second to last lap, I came around the last corner and it was already ready. It was so wet. I said, I need to come in. I'm not going to survive this last lap. And they said, No, you can't come in anymore because they were already, the pit was already closed because they were filling up these fences around the podium you know where the mechanics stay where the cars are parked so there was actually no room to go by anymore that's what the team told me so they said you need to stay out you can't come in so arrive in turn one it's raining it's wet the tires are cooling out i had zero grip anymore and i was just trying to survive uh didn't have any clue in what position i am didn't have any clue how much sort of uh um, Gap I have to the guys uh, behind me and then when those guys passed me, I had no clue who who is it. I was just trying to keep the car on, on track and, and that's it. And, and no one told me that I was in that sort of position where I decided the championship.
0: A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula 1, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including driver appearances, private pit lane walks, behind the scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more it's the closest you can get to formula one and thanks to f1 experiences motor mouth listeners can save five percent on your next f1 experiences package by using the code motor mouth when booking online at f1 experiences.com
2: so i come back to the pits we stopped uh, uh, on the pit entry Lewis, funny enough parked directly in front of me i just got told Lewis is world champion that's it so what I do, I go to Louis, well done, mate, congratulations, walk off. And then this whole bunch of journalists and camera teams walks down the hill towards me or towards Louis. So I go to the side, let them go to Louis, but they all came to me. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is going so first question straight away from an Italian journalist, was this plan? This is unbelievable. How did you manage to communicate in the race? And I said, what the fuck is going on here? I have no clue what you're talking about. So I, I stopped answering any questions, went back, and I asked my physician, said, Axel, what the hell is going on here? And he said, man, you decided to the world championship." So we, it took me like fifteen minutes to realize what's going on. We talked, you know, that the team talked to me and, and showed me the footage and stuff like this. And then I realized in what uh, shitty situation I am in. And at the end, it was it, it was like like in a film, let's say. My my mechanics, the whole Toyota crew, had to change their team uh, clothes because people were throwing stuff from the paddock pedagogu- to our uh, mechanics. Uh, they. Escorted me with police on the next day into the plane until I was in the plane. The wow. police turned around and went back, so it was intense. And the weeks after was just like a film. I mean, it was crazy. You got yeah, people sh- shouting at me, uh, Facebook groups, which you should uh, you, uh, take that clock out, uh, you should get the license away, we should kill him. Stuff like this it was pretty intense. Oh. Uh and no one really knows about that or, or realizes what, what happened in these in those weeks. Oh. But at the end, you know, now it's it's more about people understand it more, yeah. see it more due to the uh onboard camera and life is a bit easier now around uh, the Brazilian group. But still, I mean, I never talked with Luis about it, I never talked with Felipe about it. So,
1: really,
2: the best thing would be to do a podcast with Luis, Felipe, and me the next time. Yes, <laughs> let's make that
1: happen. That we, that we could thrash it out. You, you must have spoken to, to Felipe Massa about it since, no? Not even after the, the, the race itself until now? No, he
2: never really talked to me. It felt like in one, when we had the 10 years anniversary and, uh, in Brazil, I mean, I was there for RTL. Uh, it felt a bit like he was every time going the other direction where I was walking into so mm. <laughs> we really never walked about, uh,
0: talked about it. What a way to, uh, to end that season and even, you know, 10 plus years down the line we still talk about it. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of hate you got for that but, you know, thank goodness it's, you know, it's all Square, and I think anyone with a brain would realise that there's no way you could have possibly masterminded that anywhere. Um, but let's move on though to to 2009 and, and carry on through through the F1 career. Another year with Toyota beckoned, and a good year as well. You got a second place in in Singapore, and um, but the ending of that year wasn't that great. You had a huge crash uh, in Japan, and then Toyota go and pull the plug essentially. Um, how? a lot to digest there I imagine for you from the going from the highs of a pretty capable car and then not the end of the season you were hoping for how do you look back at all that now
2: yeah I mean at the end uh, it was yeah I mean after after Japan um, after the crash it was yeah not easy to not go back into a car and but it was already sort of floating around that uh, Toyota could uh, uh, stop in F1 and do something else or let's say yeah get out of it and yeah then being not in a in a possibility let's say to show as well the performance in the car was not easy but um, on the other side you, what can you do nothing i mean at the end um, uh, it's hard to accept but i was as well talking to other team to renault at that, at that stage um, and we were close as well for uh, doing a, or having a, a deal with, with with renault but at the end they pulled the plug as well so pretty unlucky in that situation, but um, that's how it is in motorsport sometimes. Um, but uh, at the end, I'm I'm happy that I got out of the car in in 2009 in Suzuka. Yeah, without more damage because it was super super close that that uh, aluminium centre part of the front wing uh, was in my sort of in my knee and it was very close to uh, yeah damage more and um, at the end I need to be happy that I walked out of it and, and uh, yeah without massive damage in my in my leg let's yeah, say yeah
1: yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. we can yeah. we're going to dive into the um, the very important highlight of your career never mind your second place in Singapore in Formula One forget all of that the highlight of your career is yet to come and that is the Motormouth quiz Harry over to you to introduce it to Timo <laughs> Timo Glock, welcome
0: to the hardest quiz in motorsport it's a quiz all about you and your career there's a mixture of a bit of team radio and just some general questions that i have found uh the answers to on wikipedia so very unlikely they're true or not uh, and simply you've just got to provide the answers and, and a bit of context um four questions for you are you ready for your first question
2: Yeah, I am,
0: but I'm sure i got to fuck (laughs) it (laughs) up. Okay. Well, the first thing is a bit of team radio. So have a listen to it. And then uh, there's a couple of questions we'll throw at you afterwards. So have a listen to this.
1: I'm just going to tee this up with, I think this is the best piece of team radio I think I've ever heard. I can't imagine in my life. (laughs) It's it's 20 (laughs) seconds of pure radio gold. Here it comes. Fuck! Fuck! This was awesome, mate! This was the best fucking racing I ever had in my life! <laughs> the best fucking racing in fucking hell Mercedes! You should not leave this championship! It keeps it's <laughs> You should not leave this championship. This is racing. Fuck yes! Fuck yes! Fuck
0: yes! You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> honestly, I've never been more. I listened to that and I was like, "Oh my god, yes!" What I'm so I was excited, and it, it was however many years ago. But go on, then. I think you recognise it. Um, where where were you? What happened? What are you talking about?
2: Best best race ever I did in my 20 years of motorsport. Wow, Hockenheim 2018. Uh, Sunday race with Luke, me, Gary Hamilton.
0: <laughs> Spot <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, that I mean, that was a pretty uh, spectacular race. I, I remember watching it actually. But also, just just off the back of that, your thoughts on on DTM as well. Uh, you know, your move there after F one, and, and obviously continuing on with with the new the new look format, the new cars. What, what's your look at DTM right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, you need to say gerberger and itr did a really good job to keep the platform alive i think that's very important as well for motorsport in germany for motorsport in general it's going to be different uh, totally different to um, what what i used to do uh, in dtm cars i mean last year or the, the, in the past years especially with the turbo engines the cars were very impressive uh, very quick things are changing now i mean the gt3 cars are really a, a challenge to drive i mean i don't have much gt3 experience so a lot of things are new uh, for me, which I need to learn. But first of all, the platform is there. It gives us a possibility to still show some good races, maybe some another battle uh, with Gary again. I mean, yeah. he's back as well. So really looking forward to it. And, uh, and, and, and hopefully, you know, the platform can stay consistently and, and uh, is improving and maybe
0: getting more manufacturers or more teams on board. Let's,
1: let's see. Ge- well, it's great that
0: he's got a full full grid as well.
1: And Gerhard Berger, what a legend. I mean, we, we, we spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and um, we're, we're kind of shocked because you don't see him that often in the press and the media or on YouTube or anything like that he's a seriously funny guy like he, he had us cracking up for for the best part of an hour and a half he he's a great talker and a very funny bloke and it's great to see him um, you know making these changes in uh, in DTM brilliant stuff what a, what a guy and, yeah, and
0: what a start so as well uh, Timo to the motormouth quiz because that's a full three full points house. in the bag uh, now that's that's it for the team radio I've got three more questions to throw at you um your best year in Formula One came in 2008. But how many points did you score? Now I'm oh, alla- no, no. if you're if you're within five, five yeah. I'll give you the but full it, yeah. points.
2: But that was it not 2009 where I was twice on the
0: podium. Well, according to Wikipedia, you scored more points in 2008. Holy shit! What was the point <laughs> system? In 2008? It was, That's it's a good
1: point. Actually, when did of, they change? Not a lot of points for the for the win. Let's put it that uh, way. Uh,
2: so I would say. Can't be more than 20
1: points. I'll
2: give
0: you that. It was 25.
1: Boom. No shit. Uh, it's right. all right. I'll give you, you two see, out of three. I'll my give you two stomach out of three. told
2: me, say 25, and you're the middle. Oh. I should have... Yeah.
0: Okay. Two out of three. Not bad. Uh, another another numbers game to 30 next. Um, How many oh, Harry, German... <laughs> tough one. How many German Formula One drivers have there been oh. up to the current day? And again, have if... Yeah, sorry. If uh, if you're within ten, if you're within ten, I'll give you. I mean, we like, had we had already seven or eight in, in my time. There was a lot of German drivers in your time, yeah. Um, it's a big number. There's only I think there's only two on the grid now, isn't there? Um, seven. It's a big number.
1: It's a big. It's, a big number. A big,
0: it's double digits. Um, and I'll give you if you're within ten either side. I'll give you some points. Oh shit. 30 <laughs> i don't oh, know oh i was looking for 53 53 53. Team. 53 yeah it's been quite it's been a it's been a hell of a lot but i'm afraid nothing for that one can you redeem yourself uh, and this leads us on nicely to uh, just to, to round off your your formula 1 stages as well um you raced for virgin in 2010 uh, through to 2012 in in the different guises it, it, it took on can you name all the different names they raced under right up until they left the sport in twenty sixteen?
2: Virgin Marussia, and then holy shit! What was the last time? The last team name was. It's, uh,
0: it's a it's a classic British team um, name. The the one you're looking for. Raced in junior formula quite a bit. Still does, I believe. Yeah, this is kind of John Booth. Ah, Mena. Yeah. There we go. He's got it. Okay, Backing nice it. one. Okay, and one more for a bonus point. Now, again, according to Wikipedia, you get on very well with Heike Kovalainen and you're even neighbours, or you were neighbours at some stage. You need to double You need to double-check your Wikipedia page. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then you should maybe... <laughs> See if 2008 was the better year than yeah, that's
0: 2009. That's true. Very true. That's why this quiz is the hardest one, because I'm never quite sure on what the answers are. Well, anyway, um, can you tell me when his birthday is? No idea. No oh, idea. Oh, no idea. idea. What
1: kind of friend are you? Honestly,
0: <laughs> there's your no best idea. mates on Wikipedia. Unbelievable. Um, right. To well, pretty decent. Let's do the maths one, two, three, four, five, six. That's eight points, Timo. And I'm afraid that does put you down the leaderboard, but there are about 40 people on the leaderboard. Uh, Karun Chandok is last with three and a half points. Alexander Sims is top with 14 points. So you're banging in sort of the middle. You're equal with Johnny Herbert and oh, uh, and Tom Chilton from the British Touring Card Championship. Yeah. So, you know what? Pretty decent. You're ahead of... Uh, uh, Jack Aiken and just just behind Thierry Neville. Uh so you know decent. Company. Not so bad. Not so bad. Not so so bad. thank you for playing that. But <laughs> I do just want to quickly, um, while well, before we we lose you, just on that final bit of your F of one career with Virgin. That move there, how how do you look at it? Did you have a lot of hope going in going into that? Obviously, a new team, and we all know what happened and the outcome, it mean, they're never really that competitive. But how do you look back on it? Because I actually remember listening to Jano Trulli recently talk about his move to, obviously, the Team Lotus and Caterham after Toyota pulled out. And he said, actually, I should have just called it quits at the end of Toyota. Yeah,
2: I mean, on the other side, yeah, every time I have a bit of hope and... Uh, but at, at the end, it, I had no other choice, you know. I mean, I had the chance. I had actually a, 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 actually a three-year deal with, with Toyota or two and two and a half, let's say, or two-year deal and, a, and an option for a third year, which, um, yeah, we, which we couldn't use because they pulled the plug. We had sort of a, a, a nearly close deal with, with Renault, which we couldn't at, at the end finalize. So there was, there was no other option to me. And sure, I mean, Jano was in the position to say I, I quit or should have quit. But on the other side, I was quite a bit younger than him mm-hmm. at that stage. So there was clearly for me uh, uh, to say, OK, I used the chance to see if I can move on from there or if, if the team has the potential. But I mean, to me, uh, to me, it was clear if you come from Toyota to co- go to a small team like this and to know what it needs to be up front in, in Formula One, it was clear to me that it's not gonna going to happen. Uh, okay, the, the um, budget cap was still around, but it, it never got through. So um, it was clear to me it's, it can only give me a chance to sort of get myself in a position that a top team comes up to me. But I mean, you pronounce it really nicely. We were not, never really on the pace. We were bloody far away from being <laughs> on any pace with that kind. I of just yeah. At the end, uh, uh, it was another experience uh, for me. Uh, and and yeah, what can you say? I mean, at the end, uh, there was no other option for me to do it. Yeah. Then uh, do something else, or uh, or yeah, could have maybe moved earlier to DTM, whatever. But at the end, mm. was a chance for me to stay in Formula One and see what I can do, or place myself in a in a position to. Get a
1: better team, yeah. Now, uh, we have three questions which we ask all of our guests, and this will be no exception, so we're going to fire them at you now. I'll kick off with this first of the final three. Timo Glock, what has got you excited at this very moment? At
2: this, I mean, in the
1: podcast now. (laughs) Right now. What has got you excited right Right now? Really excited, the question about two thousand eight. There
0: you go. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll Google that afterwards and let me know. <laughs> um, okay, fair enough. If not doing what you're doing, being a, a very successful racing driver, what would you have done? What would you be doing? Would you have gone into scaffolding?
2: Yes, I would have. Uh, I mean, that was actually my sort of plan. I never thought I would, would make, uh, make it uh, in motorsport to a position where I earn my money with it. So until 2003, it was clear to me that I'm going to gonna, gonna uh, take over the my dad's company at the end and uh, let's sort of be a scaffolder. So yeah, without motorsport, I would have been
1: definitely in that business, yeah. And what are you scared of? What I am scared of?
2: Ooh. Corona at the moment, <laughs> which puts the whole world in a totally... Wrong sort of mm. picture, and yep. things are totally
1: crazy. And Have you had the vaccine yet?
2: No, no, me neither. So, um, I don't know. Uh, everything is, is a lot more difficult, uh, to get from A to B. I mean, I was just now for half an hour, well, 45 minutes on the phone trying to figure out how I get from A to B in May because I'm gonna be the whole May, I'm gonna be on, on the road where I normally would come back home, you know, but it doesn't make sense because. First of all, flight options are mm. not the same anymore like it was before. You need to find a way to get the corona tests done and stuff like this. So yeah,
1: no, it's it's a it's a very hard general, to
2: so. hard to understand. And in there for me, there is no logic behind the system at the moment, and that freaks you out a bit and yeah. and makes yeah. And, and scares you to see what where the future
0: is going to be. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange, a strange new world we've all got to try and navigate.
1: Harry, before we sign off, there's, there's yeah. one more question I want to try and squeeze in. I wanted to ask earlier, um, which is, out of all the racing that you've ever done, and bearing in mind you've shared a track with some of the greats, who is the best racing driver you've ever raced against? Uh,
2: there are two. I mean, Jano was one of the most insane qualifiers I ever met. The guy was just super, super quick for one lap. Um, sometimes after qualifying, I looked at the data comparison, so thought the guy must have been on a different track than me. Um, and funny enough, like, I still remember really well in 2009 coming back from the um, drivers' uh, driver's briefing when Fernando Alonso walked by and looked at me, put his Hand on my shoulder, and said, "He's pretty quick in qualifying, I eh? <laughs> said, "Yeah, man he's fucking quick." So um, that was one definitely who stands out to me. And uh, Adam Carroll. Ah, oh. great
0: shot.
2: So uh, uh, there is no one really out there who knows that he was my teammate for a couple of races in two thousand three, and. Uh, he just jumped in the car and he, I mean, he, he did a three in, in, the uh, UK uh, and then came over and did a couple of races with us and he was just straightforward, you know, in that, in that, in that year, you normally are uh, sort of, your teammate is, is you need to beat your teammate. There is no friendship between teammates, let's say, and, and mm. he was just such an easy guy helping out, trying to, you know, understand because we were, we were switching tires from Yokohama to Kumo at that stage and, and he tried to, to help us out to understand more the car because we just, couldn't understand the tire and we're just not, not quick enough. Um, and he was just a totally easygoing guy and super quick yeah. guy was just super, super quick um, and, and triggered me in in, in in a couple of areas and, and but just very easy going, you know, so
1: brilliant. Uh, good guy. Very good answer. I like that one a lot. Um, Harry, I know we, we've got to sign off. Anything else you want to squeeze in before we let the man get on with his day?
0: You know what we I think we've got to have another chat but this time I think next time we're going to have to bring Felipe and Lewis in because we're going to make that <laughs> <happen>. <laughs> because Timo Glock it has been an absolute pleasure to uh, to have you on the show thank you for taking the time it's been great to sort of get an insight into to your your views and, and how your career unfolded and is still going Look, looking forward to seeing how you do in DTM this year best of luck with that I think we all Uh, Looking forward to seeing the new look championship as well. It's only a good thing for motorsport, I think, to to have that and to have a great uh, a a great lineup of drivers and and, uh, teams as well on that grid. Um, so best of luck with that thank you for coming on the show we'll get you back thank with you. Felipe and Lewis in uh, a few months time uh,
2: <laughs> I, I think that, that's gonna explode your viewers yeah, <laughs> yeah I,
0: think it, I think it would uh, we're onto something there Timo Glock thank you so much for coming onto the Motor Mouth podcast no problem thank you thank you guys before you go one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of Formula 1 F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport official to Ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package today, head online to F1Experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official and Facebook just to search MOTORMOUTH motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motormouth podcast